Welcome to the Lucky Titan Podcast. Here you will learn how to fill your favorite platform with tons of your dream customers from some of the world's top entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Josh Tapp. Now let's get started. What is up, everybody? Josh Tapp here again. Welcome back to the Lucky Titan. And today... We've got two spectacular guests. It's actually been a while since I've done an interview where I had two guests at the same time. So we're going to navigate this together, guys. But we've got Dave Clark and Doug Cornfield. And these guys, honestly, are doing something that is absolutely incredible. Dave's story, I mean, this guy, he played MLB on crutches for 10 years, right? Major League Baseball, this guy is awesome. Minor League Baseball, but still, he was an MLB coach as well, but he did it on crutches which is spectacular. First off, when we first kind of met Doug, Doug is, is the guy who's been partnering with Dave as well to kind of get his message out there and, and support other people as well with disabilities who want to be in sports. And I'm, I'm really excited to support these guys in this, but secondarily, these guys, are just, they're on a mission and I'm, I'm excited to get the message out there, but Doug's story, or excuse me, Dave's story is one of those that just hasn't been told but I'm really excited to get it told and, and have you guys hear him more. You're going to be seeing him on a tour here. We're going to send him on a whole bunch of podcasts uh, to get this story out there. So first off guys, say what's up and then we will, we'll hop in and get this going. Well, thanks for having us, Josh. You know, yeah, we're absolutely. just really pleased thanks, and we appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks. And <laughs> yeah, no problem. I'm excited to have you guys here and I apologize for my, uh, my mistake there in the intro, but we, when Kyle, so most of you who are listening to the show, you know, Kyle's one of our leading sales guys. We love him to death. He, after he talked with Doug and, and Dave, he's like, Josh, you've got to meet these guys. I'm like, okay, why is that? Um, and he, he went on to share the story and the video that you guys sent and everything as well. And I was just like, man, this is cool. This is one of those sweet underdog stories. And as everybody knows, listen to this Moneyball is one of my favorite shows. I quote it constantly. Fantastic show. So I'm excited to see what you guys do in that space. But I want to kind of kick this off by saying, Dave, do you mind kind of just giving us a couple minute synopsis of getting to the point where you were able to actually get into the minor leagues? Yeah, Josh, um, I'll go back to the very beginning. Um, I had polio at 10 months of age. And if there was anything golden about having it at 10 months, it was that I hadn't hadn't learned how to walk yet. So I was taken away from my parents for, uh, you know, we're going through a COVID epidemic now. Polio was an epidemic in the 50s, similar in the fact that it shut things down and kids couldn't play with other kids. And so when I had polio at 10 months of age, my parents, I was taken to what was called the Ithaca Reconstruction Home in Ithaca, New York, which was about 40 miles from my hometown of Corning, New York. And uh, my mom uh, related to me that the first day they were over there, my parents, the doctor told them that I might not make it. He said that my case was severe enough that, you know, this could be a fatal. And two weeks later, they were called back in and the doctor told them, well, it looks like he's going to make it, but he's going to be a vegetable. And that's the exact term he used. He's going to be a vegetable. He's not going to have any muscular uh, movement. Uh, a year later, I came out walking with crutches and braces. And so that was my norm. So like I said at the start, if there was any golden thing about having polio, I didn't have to transition from being a, already knowing how to walk to you know, using crutches and braces. That was my norm. 
So I grew up that way. And I had two brothers and I was treated like anybody else in my family. My parents treated me no differently. Brothers that if I needed my butt kicked, I got my butt kicked. And uh, the neighborhood kids did the same thing. It wasn't until I got to school that I was made to feel different. And bullying is not a new phenomenon. Uh, bullying has existed as long as man's been around. And um, so in, in kindergarten, first grade, second grade, you know, I, I was I was bullied. I was made to feel different because I walked a different. I was slower. So anyway, I'll relate. The first story I want to tell you is what changed my perspective and the kids perspective of me. You know, we were going through first kindergarten, first, second grade. My gym teachers wouldn't allow me to participate. They had a chair off to the side. So every time they would tell us what we were doing, clap their hands, Dave went to the sideline and he sat there and I watched the the other kids play, which is a lot. I can relate this to the camps we do today because everybody's got potential. And until you let somebody do something, you don't know what their potential is. And so in third grade, we had a different gym teacher. Name was Mr. Snetchler. And he was a uh, military man, stern, strict, crew cut, haircut. And first day in his class, he told us what we were going to do. Clapped his hands. I started toward the sideline. There was no chair there. I thought he forgot it. So I just kept walking until I heard this. Where do you think you're going? And I turn around. He goes, Come over here. And so I'm eight years old. I'm shaking. I go over and he looked at me and he says, where were you going? I said, well, I was going to the sideline. He goes, not in my class. He said, you may not be able to do everything we're going to do in this class, but you'll never know it until you try it. Planted a seed right there. He's absolutely right. So the, the activity that day was climbing the rope to the ceiling. I don't know if you've ever done that, but uh, that's what I thought (laughs) would be uh, successful for my first venture in PE class. So my turn came and uh, heck, I had no idea if I could do this or not. And uh, I started putting fist over fist and I elevated myself off the floor and realized I'm wearing about 10 pounds of braces on my legs. Right. And I can't use my legs to shimmy up the rope so it's all arm strength coming up however because i'm walking with crutches running with crutches unknown to me i had built up a lot of upper body strength cut the story short i was the only guy to make it to the to the top now i had a big problem i had to come down (laughs) and i couldn't make that little s with your feet to slow the descent so I slid all the way down, holding onto the rope with my hands, and I burned the heck out of my hands. But I said, uh, matter of fact, one of Doug's, he named one of our businesses Best Burn because that was the best burn I ever felt. When I got down, all the kids' jaws dropped. He's the only guy that made it. The Mr. Snetchler gave me an ice cream bar and my first professional payoff. And he just proved his point on the very first class I was in is that you don't know what you can do until you step out of your comfort zone and attempt to do it. And uh, the next uh, thing we did in class was softball. And 
bam, a hand-eye, hand-eye coordination that, uh, you know, was pretty good. And I ended up, so then, you know, we're talking about going into Little League. Yes, that the, the road to where I got, we, I got into Little League, which was another step. Little League wasn't going to let me play. He'll get hurt. Well, my parents went up to bat for me. They literally, Corning is an hour's drive from Williamsport, which is the headquarters for Little League. And my parents literally drove to Williamsport, Pennsylvania to go to bat for me. And they convinced them to let me play. I played. I could hold my own. I started realizing I can play with these guys. I got limitations, but I can think outside the box on how to lessen those limitations. And uh, obviously, I wasn't going to be an outfielder or a middle infielder. So pitching and first base became what I, uh, you know, worked on. And as you go up the pyramid, you know, you've got to, you've got to realize what your strengths lend yourself to. And it ended up being pitching. So then, but here's another, you know, crucial moment in my thinking and my quest for my dream is I realized I wasn't throwing hundred miles an hour. I never would be able to. So I said, I got to develop something that will allow me to at least pursue my dream and have a shot. So I developed a knuckleball and I would throw that knuckleball. I experimented with it, with grips, arm angles, release points. Finally, after about two years, found out what worked best for me and started perfecting that knuckleball. Then the next step was, you know, around 15, 16, I started thinking, I'm playing pretty successfully against all the local talent. Now realize Corning, New York is only a 10,000 population town. So that, that, you know, being a a bigger fish, a smaller pond is not conducive to playing pro baseball. But uh, so what I did, and I knew, I knew I wasn't going to be scouted like the normal player because who's going to scout a guy on crutches uh, that runs 11 seconds to first base and he's throwing a 79 mile an hour fastball. So I realized you got to go get it. If you want it, they're not going to come to you. You got to go get it. And so I hand wrote 24 letters to every major league club that was in existence at the time. And I got three replies out of the 24 and I got one shot out of those three. When I go into minor league, locker room today and talk to the players before we do a camp i always tell them you got to put the time in without any guarantee of an opportunity you got to prepare without somebody saying well i'm already i'm going to give you the chance you got to prepare without anybody's telling you you got an opportunity because if an opportunity comes and you're prepared you'll give it your best shot but if an opportunity comes and you've been screwing off that's going to blow right by it You're not going to be able to give it your best effort and you're going to be regretting it. So from the time I was about 15, I was doing four hour workouts, six days a week, running five miles a day on my crutches, doing sprints, lifting weights, doing pull-ups, sit-ups, push-ups, anything to give myself the advantage because I knew realistically my chance wasn't good. I knew that, but I got the one chance and I had done all this work. So if I failed, I knew I had given it my best shot, but I made it. And I parlayed that one chance 
into 40 years of professional baseball and now doing what we do today, which is absolutely, I mean, if you were to attend one of these camps that we hold and you see what's going on, and it's not just good for the participants, the players, when I go into the players in the morning, we do the camps and I talk to them in the locker rooms. The beauty of that is that they get a different perspective too. And they realize one of the first things I say to them when I talk, gentlemen, you know, I know you don't want to be here this morning after a night game last night. I've been in your shoes. I said, I hope you all have a thousand game career in your lifetime. Most of those games you'll forget, but I'm going to guarantee you today you will never forget. And invariably they'll come up to me after the camp and say, thank you. Thank you. It's made me realize, and I'll tell them, I'll say in that talk in the locker room, I'll say, gentlemen, it's a privilege to be in here. You may not realize it right now, but it is a privilege to sit in this professional locker room. The people we're going to go out and do this for today, most of them, if not all of them, will never have the opportunity of what you're doing. And they come back. So you get that perspective change with the players. The participants all of a sudden are expanding their potential. And a lot of times, as Doug will tell you, the parents come up, they'll go, I didn't know Johnny could do that. I didn't know Sally could do that. You know why? Because you didn't give them the opportunity to do it. And that's what they need. So that's a long-winded answer to your question, Chad. <laughs> Hey, I asked you for a good story and you, you gave one. So I, I love it. And I love that pivotal moment because like you said, it was the preparation that when the door was there, you were able to actually, you know, open the door. <laughs> and I will say this. I didn't know I could open that door. I was hoping I could open that door. And I just wanted a shot to tell me whether I could or couldn't open that door. And fortunately, I got that shot. I got to tell you, though, the first day. This was before the DH. It's kind of aging me. Uh, so this was two years before the DH came in, des designated hitter in 1973. So we're talking 1971. And the very first day out there at the tryout, they had the pitchers bunting. And I bunted the first pitch I saw into my eye. Oh, no. <laughs> and it just went boom. Blew up and I thought, okay, there's the end of your shot. It was nice while it lasted. <laughs> and uh, for, fortunately, I got around that and did make it. Yeah. Jeez. Well, and see what's what I love about the story and what you guys are doing with D3 Days, that's it's helping prepare people for that moment. I actually interviewed this lady multiple times. I think she's like Miss Universe. I, I honestly can't quite remember now, but it was years and years ago. But she she said a saying that just stuck with me. She's like, she was in one of those situations like yours, right? Didn't have a lot of opportunity, but she's like, I just decided to find a hallway with a lot of doors. And I started kicking them down. And I love that because it was, it lines with what you're saying is you're like, you know what? I have no opportunities where I'm currently at, right? From a small town, I've got all these different things against me, but you found a hallway with 24 doors. One of them opened and you kicked it down, right? Pretty cool. Pretty cool um, analogy. So I want to ask you guys this because you've been, you know, and this is where Doug, you kind of come into play here too, right? Is 
you have such an amazing story and you're, you've been leveraging this now with D3 Day. Do you guys kind of mind giving us, maybe Doug, you give us kind of the, the synopsis of this, of what D3 Day actually does and what you guys are trying to accomplish there? Sure. We, we named it Disability Dream Day at first, but then we started realizing uh, my one of my sons, we do a lot of fundraising and he was handing out flyers and he called it Disability Dream and Do. And it comes from a quote of Dave's where he says, there's two types of dreamers. There's dreamers that dream and then there's dreamers that dream and do. And I had caught that through a video that Dave had done at a keynote uh, several years before I actually knew him. And so my son, I was quoting it all the time. And my son started calling it disability dream and do. And I thought, you know what, that's better. And because it's not about just one day, it's about multiple things, disability dream and do hockey, disability dream and do baseball, you know, because to make Josh, to make Dave's story even crazier, he played ice hockey in college, even though he couldn't skate. I'll just throw that out there. So he loves hockey as well. And <laughs> You know, and so our camps are not just baseball or hockey, and we hope they're art someday and bowling or whatever somebody wants to dream to do. We want to give them that opportunity. And but baseball and hockey are our niche. And so what we do is, and this, of course, was pre-COVID, and now we're starting to get back. We did some events through COVID, but not in a different way. We had to do differently. But so a typical camp for us is we'll have 80 to 120 participants, all different situations, all different ages. And they get a day on a professional field, like the spring training field for the Minnesota Twins at Hammond Stadium in Fort Myers, Florida. That's just one instance. Uh, Although we're working with the Yankees minor league team in Hudson Valley this year again and some others. And so with this day, they're on the field. And instead of trying to play baseball, if those baseball players out there, the game can actually be a lot of standing around. So we don't want a lot of standing around. So what we set up is more like a skills practice. So we work on their skills and we set up five different stations, a hitting station, fielding station, target station, T-ball station, you know, throwing station, all those things. And we instruct the players because one of the beauties of our camps is that we've been able to get the whole team out there instructing these young children and young adults with these differences on the field, the game of baseball. Now it's soft equipment, balls are flying everywhere. And, uh, and it's just developed over the years. And it really just comes from Dave doing these kind of camps that go all the way back to the 70s. This is not something he just got on the bandwagon with when it became popular to do. This has been something he's done his whole life since his professional baseball days. And then the kids do these drills. We do what's called at the end, we set up a high five game where the players will put like a, almost like a little wiffle ball type stadium, you know, little, we throw down bases for a little wiffle ball sized uh, area. All the kids get one chance to, to hit off of one of these players. And then they run around the bases, giving high fives to all the players. And you just, you just go look at our videos, some of them, and the energy that is created when these kids make a hit, we don't care if it goes two inches or over the fence, they're going to get big cheers. They're running around the field whether it's in their wheelchair or if they need help, if they're blind, we have children that are blind that have been led around, you know, the bases by one of the players and, and it just creates some major energy. But like Dave said, not just with the participants, but with the players and the volunteers and the parents and, and anybody that's really involved. And, and then we feed everybody, you know, they all get shirts and hats. So we make them feel special. And then typically a day after or two, we also get them tickets to come to a game and so they get to see those players and, and we'll do some on-field uh, activities, high five tunnels and first pitches and some announcements. And then Dave, through one of his stories, we've also created an award uh, that can be sponsored. 
and it's called the Pulling Each Other Along Award. And this goes to unsung heroes in the areas that we serve that are helping those typically with disabilities. They have got this beautiful story of helping in some way. And so that's kind of the synopsis of the D3 or disability dream and do as we put it together. Yeah, I love that. And that's, I mean, honestly, that's one of the reasons we wanted to have you on the show because I would encourage anybody listening to this to go and participate with these guys and what they're doing. You go to d3day.com. That's where you can connect with them. And Doug, you've written a couple books on this and you know, obviously there's websites and companies and there's merch, so many different things tied into this. So I yeah. am curious where this is a business podcast. I just want to ask this one business question before we wrap up here, but you have a movement, right? What you two are starting is truly a movement, right? Dave, you've been doing this for 40 years at this point, right? How do you fuel a movement like that from a business standpoint? I guess let me answer that because I'm a father with a child with limitations. You know, I have a, I have a son that was born with neither arm. I reached out to Dave when my son Gideon wasn't even walking. And when Dave wrote his first book called The Diamond in the Rough, the Dave Clark story, he shared this quick little story of him being all nervous about a field trip where he had to walk five blocks away to the fire hall and, you know, being the little boy that's different with crutches and braces, he remembers about two weeks of just dreading this event. And he tried to act sick, tried to get out of it, you know, but his mom knew better. So off to school, he went and he gets in line. He goes to the back of the line thinking this is going to be the absolute worst day of his life. And a classmate of his, Dave, never forgot him. His name is Ernie Pound. Ernie had brought his radio flyer wagon to school that day to pull Dave. And where I come in is 45 years later, I'm reading that book and helping Dave organize some book signings. And I found Ernie, found out they had not literally seen each other since first grade. And Ernie wound up remembering the wagon. Didn't know Dave went on to have this minor league baseball career and major league coaching career and overseas championship, you know, Swedish major league coaching, all that stuff. But he came to the book signing, he put a book underneath Dave's nose and said, sign this to Ernie Pound. And of course, the emotions got very, very electric. They're very thick in that little coffee shop. And, and so we started sharing that story. And then we came up with an award called the Pulling Each Other Along Award. And, and then I wrote a children's book called A Pound of Kindness in honor of Ernie Pound. And we were actually having a lot of success doing some keynotes. And, you know, and kindness is something we really need right now, Josh. And probably more than ever since this whole COVID thing as well. And so this little act of kindness, I think, fits with the business world because, you know, we have your bosses that can be mean and all those kind of things are strict. And, you know, and some of that's good and some of that's needed, but we need more kindness. And these one little acts of kindness. And one of the things when you're talking about starting a movement, now that we have a new book coming out that Terry Bradshaw wrote the forward of, uh, it's called Pulling Each Other Along. And so this movement it's not just about you know these little stories. It's about highlighting these stories, but it's about you, Josh, or me and Dave, telling those in our life who pulled us along and sharing those stories uh, along with the stories that we've provided and pulling each other along. You get to hear the forward Terry Bradshaw talking about what pulled him along and celebrities like his teammate Rocky Blyer talking about what pulled him along. But what we want to encourage in the movement side is what each individual that's reading these stories to be inspired to share the stories of what pulled them along. And we've even created a greeting card, which I don't know if people are watching, but they can go on our website and look. And it's a simple thank you to send out to people and say, thank you, you pulled me along. And I just want you to know. Love that. 
Love, love, love that. We should create a digital version of that too. Um, <laughs> well, good. That. <laughs> I absolutely love that. So I hope everybody has, has gotten some really great value today. And I appreciate you guys coming on here and sharing your stories and really bringing, a, honestly, something to light that I think could really use some help. And I appreciate you guys you know, leading the charge on that. So I do want to just mention here as well, everybody, is that if you want to get access to their books or anything that they're doing, you can go to pullingeotheralong.com or d3day.com. Obviously, all the other links are in the description. So make sure you go check that out. Support these guys. They're on a mission. We can all be a part of it. It's a very easy one to be a part of. So appreciate you guys coming on here. And could we actually, Dave, I'm going to ask you this. Could you give us one final parting piece of guidance for our audience? Yeah, I think if you, uh, I'll put it this way, Josh. If you believe you can achieve and you've got to believe in yourself, no matter what anybody else is telling you, you've got to believe in yourself. And I always end my keynotes by saying, give it all you got because there's no dream. It's impossible. I hope that you enjoyed this episode of the Lucky Titan podcast. If you've learned anything from this or any other episode, make sure you rate it and share it with another entrepreneur it could help. Thanks again. And I'll catch you on the flip side.